Repentance, from the sermon series, Soul Care, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. When I was a kid uh, growing up, uh, one of the things our family decided to do, I think I was probably in the fourth or fifth grade, is to go to Great Adventure. I'd never been to Six Flags before. It was really one of the key moments in my childhood, one of the most brightest moments in my childhood. And I remember the day before, I just couldn't go to bed. I was so excited about going to Six Flags. And so the next day happened and we went down and we had such a great time. And just to give you sort of an understanding of how long ago this was, uh, the roller coaster that was the most terrifying roller coaster of the day that I went was called the Rolling Thunder. And that's a roller coaster that just goes up and down, up and down. Now they got roller coasters that loop you around and it literally gives you, it gets you all dizzy when you're, when you're done. But, uh, but it was a while ago when we went. And towards the end of our, great, uh, our time at Great Adventure, our family wanted to go into a haunted house. There was a haunted house there. And I was the youngest in the family and I didn't want to do that because I didn't think being scared was fun for me. So I didn't want to go, but everyone else wanted to go. So I followed suit. And as I went in, it was terrifying. It was completely dark, and there was like fog machines. There was scary music, and actors would come out dressed in scary costumes, and they would just yell at the top of their lungs. And I remember just being so scared, I started crying. I grabbed onto my mom, and I just hid behind her, and I was just following her, and she was protecting me. My father was scared too, and that shocked me. And you know why I knew he was scared? Because when we were turning a room, one of the actors came out and they grabbed his arm. And you know what my father did? He punched him in the face. <laughs> he got in trouble. Security came, the guy had a bloody nose. And they just said, why did you do this? And he just really, he couldn't speak English that well. But at the end, I knew why he did it. It's because he was scared. He was really scared. It came out of nowhere, so unexpected. When this guy just came out of nowhere, just grabbed his arm. And his natural knee-jerk reaction was to get violent. I think a lot of times our souls are like a haunted house. I find that as we get older and as we were kids and maybe we've gone through some hard times in our lives, we didn't know how to deal with those emotions. We didn't know how to process those things in our soul. And what we did many times, we just kind of suppressed it and tried not to enter into those things. And as we get older, the soul starts to become this haunted house, this dreaded haunted house that we do not want anything to do with because we're just afraid of what might happen. We don't know what's gonna happen. And just the unknown alone causes us to get quite fearful, doesn't it? We're afraid that something might come out unexpectedly and just grab us and we don't know how we're gonna behave. Like my dad, maybe we'll get physically violent. We don't know and so as a result of it, we treat our souls like a haunted house. And that's why we started a series called Soul Care. Because in order for you and I to be healthy, in order for us to have a vibrant relationship with God and other people, we have to get to the haunted house of our souls those dark areas that continue to stay dark. And many times we don't know why we feel certain things that we do today and we live in the places that we do today, but soul care invites us to enter into the haunted house of our soul and to process some of our emotional hangups and our brokenness because the only way we're gonna be truly free is if we're willing to go there. And my hope is that we will. The truth is for every single one of us, we're all broken. Every one of us is broken. I'm broken, you're broken. We've all gone through situations that's caused us to become broken. And what soul care is all about is that soul care is taking a journey into our brokenness with the Holy Spirit. That's what soul care is. It's a journey into your brokenness with the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you took that journey last week as Dr. Rob Reamer came and talked about principle number one, which is identity. 
I hope you were able to really process what are some of the lies that you've believed in that has formed a false identity of yourself so that you don't see the true identity of being a child of God. Hopefully you were able to pay attention to some of the self-talk. You were able to journal. Our soul groups got together this week and my group, I mean, it was just great for us to share. And you know what I, what I love about our soul group is that we can enter the haunted house of our souls together. We don't have to do it alone. And I feel bad for any of you who are not a part of soul groups, our small groups this semester, because our community is going together into our haunted house of our soul. And there's a, there's a strength there. There's even a little bit of excitement because people can come and help us to process. We don't have to be afraid of the dark by ourselves. Today, I get to talk to you about principle number two, and that's repentance. Repentance. How can repentance lead to true freedom and soul care? That's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. The Apostle John says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, that we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Church, this is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, many of us have heard the importance of repentance. Many of us have repented, but I don't think we've been able to connect how that can heal our soul, how that can in many ways deal with the haunted house, which is our soul. God, we need you today. This is not no man, no woman can do this, but you. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and that you would move so powerfully in every home that every eye that is watching, every ear that are, that are open, I pray that they would have eyes and ears to hear and that you would grab their heart today with your presence, your love, and your mercy. So may the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts today watching may it truly be pleasing unto you. And it is in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. The author of this passage is simply making a very powerful truth that in order for you and I to move forward in our life, we have to make an intentional step to stand in the light. Now, I got these bright lights staring me in the eye right now, and there is something beautiful about being in the light because when you're in the light, you can anticipate and see things, even things that might be inconvenient or painful for you because there's light. And the light is Jesus Christ, it is him, he is the truth. And what this passage is saying is that the only way you and I can constantly stay in the light is when we get to a place where we realize that we are capable of, being, of living in sin, and so we practice a very important spiritual practice called repentance. Repentance is so key because when you and I get to a place where we repent, we come to the realization that we are capable of sin and living in sin. Now, I want to make two things really clear to you right here today. The first thing I want to make clear to you is simply this, that uh, you should never find your identity in being a sinner. 
I grew up in churches in the past where pastors would say, repent because you're nothing but a sinner. And how I internalized that was that I believed that my identity was one of a sinner. No, if you believe that your identity is a sinner, you'll never know that you're a child of God. You'll never know that you're a son and a daughter to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Your identity is not a sinner. Yes, you and I are capable of sin, but our identity should never be found in it. That's really not what it's about, and that's something that God would never want you and I to do. And so repentance, when you think about what repentance is, repentance in its definition is to turn away from our sin. Let's say this is our sin. It's to turn the opposite direction and walk towards God. I love how Rob Reamer defines repentance. He says repentance is a realignment with God. And that's really what it is. Because when you are living in sin, you are not aligned with God. And so what repentance is, is a realignment with God so that you can follow in his footsteps. That's really what it is. Have you ever gotten your car realigned? Years ago, I had a minivan. I went through a bunch of potholes. And in order for the car to drive straight, I had to drive literally like this. That's the only way the car would go straight. I mean, God forbid I let go. If I let go, I crash in, you know, into, the, into a corner, into a tree, whatever it might be. And when I got my car realigned, it was amazing because I, I was able to drive straight. There were times I could even let my hands go and the car would still go straight. It's a beautiful thing. That's a realignment, right? And that's what repentance is. Repentance is for you to realign yourself with God so that you can stand and walk in the light of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And God wants you and I to live our lives in that way. But here's the problem, because for a lot of us, we know what repentance is. A lot of us, we've repented and you continue. Maybe this morning before you attended service, you actually spent some time in repentance. But what I find with many Christians, and the key thing that we have missed in repentance is this key ingredient that makes repentance repentance. And what that is is godly sorrow. Many of us, when we repent, we don't repent with godly sorrow. We repent with worldly sorrow. It's a different thing. Repentance with godly sorrow leads to a posture where you can really realign yourself with God and you can stand and walk in the light when you repent in that way. When we repent with worldly sorrow, we're not really repenting, truly. What's worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is when you say, I'm sorry I got caught. You're not really sorry about doing what you did wrong. You're just sorry that you got caught. Say you committed adultery. God forbid, you're married, you committed adultery, and you got caught and you tell your spouse, I'm sorry, you're not necessarily sorry that you committed adultery, you're just sorry that you got caught. That's worldly sorrow. How do you bring that into more of a spiritual context? Well, worldly sorrow would probably be us committing premeditated sin, I call it. Meaning you say to yourself, hey, you know, uh, I'm gonna commit this sin because I know God's gonna forgive me. So before you even commit this sin, you go into it thinking, hey, I'm gonna do this because God will forgive me no matter what. Metro, I've lived like that for a very long time in my Christian faith, and I'm telling you it's no place to live. Because you'll never live into the true power of God's repentance. And if that's you, if you do premeditated sin, meaning you do sin knowing that God's gonna forgive you, your repentance is filled with worldly sorrow. It's not really godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is you living a life of secrecy, meaning you commit sin, but nobody knows about it, just you and I guess God, how you believe it to be true. That you live your life with deep secrets that nobody knows about you, that's worldly sorrow. Repentance that way is nothing but worldly sorrow repentance. I'm gonna talk more about that. So what is godly sorrow? Second Corinthians 7.10 is what it says. 
For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. That's godly sorrow. It leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. When you and I repent with worldly sorrow, we cannot really receive the forgiveness of God because it's done in such a way where you don't fully understand what you've really done and you don't appreciate the relationship in which God has sustained and has created before you through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many times have we said, you know what? Yeah, I may not be married, but I'm still gonna enter into an inappropriate relationship with someone physically because that's the culture in which we live in today. And we do that saying, well, no matter what, God will forgive me. See, that's worldly sorrow. We get into that all the time. It becomes this vicious cycle. Godly sorrow says, I'm sorry for my sins, God. I'm sorry for the way I've hurt and offended you. Godly sorrow flows from a heart that desires more from God by turning away from our sins and really doing our best to do it so that sin doesn't control us. Maybe it makes us fall once in a while and, and, and it becomes an exception, but it's not something that you and I struggle in a place where it controls everything in our lives today. I do believe if you're watching today, you know what I'm talking about. You know that there are sins in our life where it literally controls us and we have no say many times. That's because you've been repenting through worldly sorrow. You haven't been repenting through godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is the key ingredient to repentance. Could you imagine eating chicken soup without chicken? How disgusting that would taste. Could you imagine eating peanut butter jelly sandwich without peanut butter and jelly? You just eat it with bread? It's almost unthinkable to be repenting without godly sorrow. And the vast majority of us, we do that every day. We repent with worldly sorrow, but not with godly sorrow. So the key then is how do we grow in godly sorrow? How do we grow into godly sorrow? The first thing is this. We grow in godly sorrow by asking God for a tender heart. When was the last time you asked God for a tender heart? Because if you're not praying for a tender heart, guess what? Your heart is hard. That's the opposite of a tender heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Sometimes Christians say you gotta pray for a contrite heart. A contrite heart literally is a tender heart that is responsive to God. You have to ask God for that. And if you ask God for it, he will give it to you. Remember Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, if you ask for things in my name regularly, I will give it to you. I'm asking you right now that you would make a commitment regularly in your prayer times that you would ask God for a tender heart that would be responsive to him. Because if it's not, if you don't do that, you're going to have a hard heart. What's sort of the signs of a stony, hard heart? You got to ask yourself, what sort of institutes for me a hard heart? You know who would probably know that best? Your family, your spouse, maybe your friends. Say, hey, when do you find me to be kind of unbearable? And they'll start listing things, right? For me, it's really selfishness. Whenever it's always about me, it's a, it's a key thing. This is a selfishness thing. Even this morning, before I came here, my wife was cleaning the house. She goes, hey, you know, you gotta, uh, you gotta clean the toilet. And I said, honey, I got to go to church. I can't do that now. She goes, I know when you get back, I want you to clean the toilet. I said, okay, okay. A couple of weeks ago, we were eating dinner, and uh, she just said, just out, of, just out of nowhere, it just comes out. She said, uh, you know, it's been a real long time since you've done the dishes. 
And then Christina just says, yeah, dad, you know, it's been a really long time. And then Kayla goes, dad, I don't remember the last time you've actually done dishes. And the Christian just says to me, what a poor example. <laughs> I got so angry. I was like, why are all you ganging up on me? And initially I say, hey, kids, I've done dishes for so many years before you could even walk. You know how many times I've had to step in and do dishes? Now that you can, I want you to sort of get involved in doing that. And then I caught myself midway and I realized, you know what? I got to stop being defensive. I'm being defensive right now. And then I said to them, I said, you know what? I'll, I'll try harder. I'll do more. I'll do dishes more. And that's it. What would have happened if I had a hard heart? Can I play the scenario for you? I would have gotten so angry that all four of them would be eating their dinner in fear. That's what would have happened if I had a hard heart. And then afterwards, I, I probably wouldn't have done it in front of my kids because I know better. I would have pulled Jenny aside, my wife, and I would look at her in the eye and I would say, don't you ever, ever call me out like that in front of my family again. Don't you ever do that. That's probably how it would have played out if I had a hard heart. But I'm so grateful that God gave me a tender heart that day and I was able to get a little defensive, but then I was able to realize, you're absolutely right, I gotta step up. I gotta step up my game. And it just ended that good. We have to ask God for a tender heart. If you want to grow in godly sorrow where repentance has power in your life, where you can enter into the haunted house of your soul and you begin to see the light of God sort of taking away the darkness of your soul, you got to ask him for a tender heart. And so ask him. Today, I hope that you would ask God for a tender heart. Otherwise, life will be nothing but hard because your heart is hard. Second, we grow in godly sorrow by standing in the light. You grow in godly sorrow by standing in the light. Look at 1 John chapter 5, we'll look at verse 7. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You and I have to make an intentional decision today that we're not, we're going to ask God for a tender heart, but we're going to do whatever we can to stand in the light. Because if we're not intentionally trying to stand in the light, you know what's going to naturally happen? Because we're born broken naturally, we're going to start standing in the darkness. And you guys all know what that looks like in your life. I know what that looks like in my life. Being in darkness is not good. You know how hard and how lonely and how cynical that world is when you enter into that dark world. And you don't want to do that. You want to be intentional by standing in the light. When you and I are not intentional by standing in the light, you know what begins to happen? Sin begins to look like light. When you and I are not intentionally standing in the light, sin begins to look like light. Look at what Jesus says about people who actually look at sin as light. Listen, I've been there. And I know all of you have as well. You've looked at sin as light. Look at verse 22 of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, 23. I'm sorry. Matthew 6, 23. Here's what Jesus says. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. How many times have we fallen into that? How many times have we actually thought the darkness is actually light? When we live that way, 
there is a deeper darkness that your soul is that you don't even fully realize. I've done that so many times. When we've looked at a sin and said, you know what, this is better. Maybe some of you are struggling in your marriage. And you're saying, you know what, my husband or my wife doesn't give me what I need. And so now I'm going to go find it in someone else. And this person is everything your husband or your wife is not. And you're saying, I need this for my help, for my happiness. And you think that that's light? Jesus says, how dark is your soul if you think that's light? How dark is it really? Some of you are in relationships where maybe you, you actually want to be strong. You told your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you know, I don't want to participate in sex until we get married. Because I believe in the sanctity of marriage. And maybe your, your significant other is pressuring you in certain ways. And now you're starting to feel the pressure of that. And you're afraid that if you don't have physical relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that they're going to break up with you. And so because of your own insecurities and, you, and the thought of losing someone, you say, you know what, I'm going to do it. And then it looks like light. And Jesus is saying, how dark, how deep that darkness really is in our soul. You see, standing in the light requires an immense amount of intentionality because if you're not willing to be intentional about it, you're going to stand in the darkness. And when you stand in the darkness, what simply happens is that sin looks like light. And you go towards it. You run towards it because that's the only thing you see. One of the things that will destroy your ability and my ability to stand in the light, which a lot of the sin that comes out of our lives that looks oftentimes good to us, is our shame. Shame is the root cause many times of these sins that often appear to be like light to us. And we have to deal with our shame, right? Because shame teaches us that we're a mistake. Shame teaches us not that we are capable of making mistakes, because we all are capable of making mistakes. Shame teaches us that we are a mistake. And so as a result, we always feel like it. So we're always trying to compensate our lives for not feeling like a mistake. And we're doing things, things that are sinful, things that are wrong, that prevents us from standing in the light metro community church. And the only way that you and I can truly begin to do battle with shame is being vulnerable. And uh, I, I want to coin a new phrase now in this church because I talk about this every week. And honestly, I'm, I'm a little sick of talking about this every week. But this new phrase I want to coin is called incarnational confession. Vulnerability will allow you and I to overcome our shame so that we can live and stand in the light. And the way we do that is through incarnational confession. What is incarnational confession? Here's my definition of it. Is when you connect with someone and confess your sins to them. That's incarnational confession, okay? What is excarnational confession? Excarnational confession is when you pray by yourself and ask God to forgive you of your sins. I'm reading a great book by Michael Frost. Uh, it's called Incarnate. And incarnation literally means it's the flesh, a physical sense to, to, to things. You know, Jesus Christ, when he entered into this world, it's the incarnation of God. God became flesh. That's incarnation. And Michael Frost says that Western Christianity is not incarnational faith. It is excarnational faith. We've taken the physical aspect of our bodies away from our faith in God. And it, we just make it strictly spiritual. And what we've done is that we've Platonized our spiritual faith. Meaning we've embraced Plato's understanding of life. And what Plato taught back in the first century in Greece was he simply taught that your bodies didn't matter. In fact, he said that your, like living today on earth is like living in prison. 
Because the only thing that mattered was your spirit. And the only way your spirit is going to get true freedom is when there's death. Because then your body's gone. And your spirit is, is allowed to live the life it was intended to live. Now, I don't think Christian and Western Christianity goes that far. But we have spiritualized our faith just to be a spiritual experience and not a physical experience. We do the same thing with confession. When you confess your sins, when you repent, what do we do? We make it very spiritual. We take away the physical aspect of it. We go away by ourselves with God and we say, God, forgive me of my sins. That's excarnational confession. That is godly sorrow, confession with godly sorrow. It doesn't work. Why? Because you always commit the same sin over and over and over and over again. It becomes a vicious cycle, doesn't it? A vicious cycle in our lives. Incarnational confession is you getting together with someone. The Catholics have it right here. You have to get together with someone and confess your sins to them. And you will think twice before you can do it again because you know you have to confess it. And you know that that person is going to keep you accountable. I want to encourage you to please this week to do a life confession. Get together with someone that you trust. Confess all your secrets all the darkness that is who you are. Don't be ashamed of it. It's part of who you are. Let the light of God shine in it. Look what David says in Psalms 32, three and four. Here's what he says here. David says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer. David was experiencing physical, emotional, and spiritual effects from his unconfessed sins. And many of us, when we do excarnational confession, that's really what it is. You're gonna, your bodies are going to waste away. You're going to groan all day long because you're still living under the power and tyranny of that sin. Incarnational confession is the only way you and I can stand in the light. It's how we grow in golly sorrow because you get together with someone and you share with them what you've done and you don't find your identity in that sin, but you say, I've made a mistake. I am not a mistake, but I've made a mistake. And then what that person says to you at the end, here's, what, here's what's so important. When somebody confesses their sin, you have to do two things, all right? First is this. Look at John 20, 21 and 23. John 20, 21 and 23. Again, he said, peace be with you. As, my fa as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What Jesus did to the disciples is that once he breathed the Holy Spirit in them, he gave them the power to forgive and not forgive sins. Because you and I have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, because we've declared that we are followers of Jesus Christ, guess what? We have the power to forgive sins. And so when somebody's confessing their sins to you, what do you have to do as you listen to it? You say, because you have confessed your sins, your sins are forgiven. They need to hear that from you. And then the second thing you have to do it's your turn. You confess your sins now. Don't just let one person do it. It's your turn. It cannot be a one-sided relationship. It's very important that you say, because you've confessed your sins, your sins are forgiven. And then you confess your sins. That's incarnational confession. You experience the power of that. Where there's secrecy, where secrecy is encouraged, sin will flourish. Look what Rob Reamer says in his book. He says this. He says, the enemy of our souls makes honesty terrifying and secrets appealing. But only as we walk in the light with God and others can we truly get free. 
If you want to be free today, if you want to stand in the light, it's about incarnational confession. One of the, my greatest joys and one of the things that brings me the greatest peace of my life, honestly, is that there are few, just a small group of men that know everything about me. They know everything I've done wrong, everything I do wrong continuously, but they know everything. I have no secrets. It brings me an incredible amount of peace in my life and allows me to stand in the light because I do incarnational confession. Stand in the light. Grow in godly sorrow so that your repentance can have power. Incarnational confession is how we intentionally stand in the light. The very last thing, we grow in godly sorrow by owning our sin. We grow in godly sorrow by owning our sin. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We have to be willing to take ownership of our sins. Ask God for a tender heart. Yes. Very, very important. We got to do that. We got to be willing to stand in life by incarnationally confessing our sins to someone. But the last part of growing in godly sorrow so that our repentance has power is you got to own it. You got to own your sin. Confession is part of owning your sin. But the other thing is this. When you and I sin, oftentimes the sin is happening because you've hurt somebody. You got to own that. You have to own that. You can't just think silence is going to be okay. Many times the reason why we sin is always because we're in relationships with other people. And I just want you to know something. If you are in any kind of a relationship that's important to you, there will always be sin in that relationship. Because intimacy happens as you guys are trying to form and be closer and grow in deeper intimacy. You're going to sin. You're going to sin against that person. It's just a natural reality. you got to take ownership of it. If you don't take ownership of it, you guys will slowly separate from each other and be in an unhealthy place in that relationship. So take ownership of your sin. That's how you grow in godly sorrow. And so let's say, God forbid, your spouse commits adultery on you. Nothing you have done Nothing you have done will ever justify that affair. But clearly there is some dysfunction in that relationship. And you have to ask yourself, what part do I have to own? And if it's 10% of it, then God wants you to own 100% of that 10% of that dysfunctional relationship. That's what he's calling us to do, to take full ownership of the sins that we commit against ourselves and against other people. That's how you grow in godly sorrow where you experience the power of repentance. That's how you turn on the lights in your haunted house and you begin to see things that maybe you've never seen. And you won't have to be afraid of something unexpectedly grabbing you because you'll be able to see it before it even does. That's the power of true repentance when you do it with godly sorrow. Look at what Rob Reamer says here. He says here in this book, the more you try to get the other person to own their part rather than owning your part, the more likely your heart will harden in the victimization and blame. Own 100% of your part. Fully own your sin. You are the only one responsible for you. God will not cleanse that which you and I will not confess and own. He just won't do that. And so Tim, yeah, please come on up. So it doesn't matter how long that sin was that you committed you got to take ownership of it. If you really want 
to experience the power of repentance that leads to true soul care, you got to grow in godly sorrow. And godly sorrow only happens when you ask God for a tender heart, when you're willing to stand the light by doing incarnational confession, and when you own your sins, when you're willing to own your sin. I'm going to have Tim sing a powerful song that's really gripped me this summer during my sabbatical. It's called Run to the Father. What I want you to do right now is I want you to grow and ask God that you would grow in godly sorrow. Now, if you're with someone in your home, I don't want this to be something you do by yourself. It's time that you invite your spouse or your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, into your life and realize that your faith in God needs to be more than just spiritual. It needs to be physical with other people. What sin do you need to own in your relationship with this person that you might be praying with? I want you to maybe spend some time owning that today. Dads, maybe you need to go to your kid and say, I'm sorry of what I've done. Moms, maybe you need to do that to your kids. Kids, you're not always innocent. Maybe you need to go to your parents and say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Let's own our sin. Let's pray for that. Maybe there's some sins you have to confess, incarnational confession. Would you do that with the person in your home if you feel led to? And if they confess, would you say, because of your confession, your sins are forgiven? And may you confess yours to them as well. Now, if you're by yourself and you live alone, don't worry. I'm going to get you in a virtual prayer room in just a few minutes. But I want you to be praying for a godly sorrow right now. While Tim sings this song, I'm going to give you an opportunity to connect with God in a powerful way. And it's going to be beautiful. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, will you enter into every home of every person that is watching right now? Whether they're by themselves or they're with people, I pray that you would fall and the power of your spirit would be so strong and so palpable. God, that there would be an awakening, that you open the eyes of our hearts right now. May you anoint the song that's going to be sung right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go and run to your Father. to 
our excuses. God cannot pardon our denials. God cannot cleanse that which we will not confess. God cannot heal which we will not admit. There's no freedom without forgiveness and there's no forgiveness without repentance. Hiding creates darkness and darkness destroys our soul. So today Metro Community Church, will you repent with godly sorrow by asking God that you would have a tender heart by intentionally standing in the light, by incarnationally confessing your sins to someone else, and by owning your sins today. Let me just pray with you. God, thank you for what you've done today. 
in our people's hearts, in their homes, in their lives. I pray you would seal it. And I pray, God, that every day that they would know that regardless of what they've done, they can always run to the Father. Because, God, you're always there, ready to heal us, deliver us, and help us during our most difficult of times. And so, God, I pray that you'll be with our church. Help us to understand that as long as we are together in community, that we can run to you, Father. But when we consider and live our lives in isolation, particularly maybe in this quarantine, we cannot run to the Father. We can't do this alone. May we rely on each other. May you fall into our lives in such a way, God, where we truly pray regularly for a tender heart, where we're willing to stand in light by incarnational confessing our sins, and that you would help us to intentionally own our sins, asking the question, why do I do the things that I do? Help us to grow in greater self-awareness. And it's in your name that we pray. There's some next steps that I want you to take. And so if you could go to your communication card right now, there's some next steps that I want you to actually click on uh, as you feel appropriate. The first one is this. I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off. We promise to get back to you this week. We want to enter the spiritual journey with you. And praise God that you have said yes to him. Second, I will do a life confession this week. You're going to say, Peter, I believe in incarnational confession. Now, maybe I haven't in the past, but I'm going to get together with someone this week and do a life confession. Go for it. All right, make sure that they do a life confession with you as well. All right. Three, I will receive prayer today through virtual prayer. Now, listen, if you're home by yourself, I think it's very important that you go and make sure you sign up for virtual prayer at emetro.org slash pray. All right, we're going to do that after communion, so don't do it just yet. But also, if you're home with your family, you might need prayer today from a pastor. Please, emetro.org slash pray, or it's on your app. All right, fourth, I will own my sin or my part by connecting with someone I am struggling with. Maybe there are people you're avoiding because you don't appreciate what you've done or maybe what they've done to you. Take ownership and go and meet with them this week and connect with them. All right. Uh, fifth, please sign me up for Newcomers Connection Meeting. It's next Sunday, November 8th. All right. If you're interested, check that off. We'll get you more information. Number six, please sign me up for the partnership class on Sunday, December 6th. You have to attend the Newcomers Connections in order for you to attend the partnership class. So if you're interested, please, please, please check that off. We'll get back to you.